Hello and welcome to Off The Track. I'm your host, Matthew Fleming, and joining me today is Peter Russell. Hello. Corey Crane. Hello there. Michael Walker. Hello. And special guest, Nicole Kazgak. Hi. So, Nicole, um, can you just tell us quickly a rundown of your involvement in F1 in schools? Yep. So, I've been involved in F1 in schools since around 2014, so six years. I started at a state level doing cadet class, then moved on to development class, ending up winning the national finals of development class in 2016 as negative filter. Um, And then we progressed on to the world finals in 2016 as in a collaboration team um, with Terminal Velocity. We ended up competing at the competition, placing second and getting um, the world's fastest car in Infinitude. Since then, I have been fortunate enough to be involved in judging some marketing in the national finals and state finals. And I also attended the world finals last year in a marketing capacity for F1 in schools. All right. So today's topic is digital marketing specifically related to social media and website. So we'll start off with social media and we'll talk about what are the main platforms you should be using. So um, my, my opinion on it is Facebook, Instagram, maybe Twitter. Um, what does everyone else think? I think Instagram now in 2020 is pretty much the number one platform for teams. Yeah. Um, not, I don't think when we competed, like 2016, 2017... Um, it was as big as it is now. I think Facebook was definitely dominant back then, but now Instagram is definitely the big, big platform. Yeah, that's that's what I was. One of the things I wanted to talk about is how it's it's. There's been a shift from Facebook back in 2016, 2017, maybe 2018, even being the dominant platform. Everyone was on Facebook primarily. Instagram was off to the side. And now it's completely reversed. No one's on Facebook or no one's taking that as seriously as was before. And it's all Instagram primarily. I think the big um, draw card to Instagram was when they introduced stories. Um, Because back in 2016, I think only Snapchat had stories, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. I think they got introduced end of 2017. And that definitely made it easier for like brands to you know put stuff up onto stories as opposed to having snapchat because i think we had a team snapchat but that wasn't very popular at all um yeah when stories on instagram were brought out that was a big a big deal so yeah so facebook would be facebook and instagram are probably the big platforms there's also you know there's emerging platforms like let's say tiktok and other smaller platforms do you want to talk about that Corey? Oh, well, I mean, I think we've all seen um, the way platforms such as TikTok have come in and recently in the last 12 months and gone from an app that used to be uh, downloaded as a joke and now has so many millions of people addicted and scrolling for hours per day. Um, It's certainly, I think, (laughs) certainly been a bit of a shake-up in the world of social media. Um, Facebook, especially now they own Instagram as well, 
have been such um, have dominated the market for so long in that form of content delivery, and to have an app such as TikTok really come out of the blue and become a one-on-one, I would almost say, especially within that sort of sixteen to twenty-four-year-old sort of category, it's been quite interesting to watch. And so there's for teams that want to really involve themselves with social media, they could leverage these um, these smaller or less used platforms as a way to sort of boost their own social media presence. What does everyone think about that? I think with what you've all said that I agree with, you know, Facebook and Instagram being the main platforms that are the most used. And I do think, you know, having a TikTok account can be valuable because you can reach a younger demographic with that, maybe other teams. But I guess when I've been judging and I've been seeing what teams are presenting, a lot of the teams sort of don't identify where or who their target audience is. And I think a lot of the teams do believe that and sometimes that is, you know, their other peers. But you've also got to consider how you're getting those sponsors and are, you know, if you are trying to target those sponsors and getting, you know, some industry collaborations and that's what you're trying to achieve through your social media, you've really got to consider, you know, are those businesses and those business professionals using platforms such as TikTok? As in, you know, is it the time you put into TikTok worth what you get out of it because you're not really reaching that target audience of those business professionals and people like that. Whereas, you know, that Facebook or that LinkedIn or Instagram really targets them directly. Yeah, certainly. And I don't think many teams ever bother with LinkedIn or it's usually just a placeholder. Um, I remember we, we had an, a LinkedIn profile, but it, it was, it was a dead zone. We'd, we'd never post to it. Uh, and that could be very useful for getting sponsors. Yeah, and I think g- given, you know, Nicole talked about demographics, you look at the demographics of Instagram and TikTok, and they're primarily um, the younger generations. you got 12 to 24-year-olds and that kind of demographic on TikTok and Instagram. And the amount of effort you have to put in to make TikTok uh, a big thing, because it's, it's video production and... You don't have to put that kind of effort into Instagram. It can be a lot of graphics and um, and just taking pictures and that kind of thing, which can be less time-consuming than, than video production. And so, yeah, considering the cost-benefit analysis of putting effort into something like LinkedIn or Facebook, which will probably, yeah, hit those demographics, like Nicole said, the your sponsors will be in versus, you know, your peers um, is an important consideration for teams. And I think you also have to consider the fact, you know, that you are an F1 team, especially when you're getting to those higher levels, you have to be professional and, you know, um, you have to sort of act like the big F1 teams, you know, like Ferrari or Red Bull and those teams. I know obviously it's a completely different scale, but they wouldn't be, you know, making heaps of TikTok videos and silly things like that. I mean, obviously it has to be fun to a certain degree, but you've also consider, got to consider that, you know, you are putting out an image there and it has to be a professional image at the same time as being still fun. Certainly, yes. Um, right, well, let's move on to um, some more specifics here. So things like post frequency and when you should be posting. Um, so generally... a good advice would be to post at night 7 p.m time um i'm assuming that's you would all agree with that yeah i was going to say Corey said something interesting to me about posting at night time because that's when uh 
people are scrolling through Instagram at night just before they go to bed. I found that quite interesting. Yeah, um, with with the off the track social media, um, so the Instagram, we've found that we can get if I post say at six o'clock in the morning, just as people are starting to get up, a lot of people, and especially within the sixteen to twenty-four um, years of age uh, category, which is where we get most of our uh, interactions. A lot of people are waking up at that time before work, before school, and just going to that sort of mindless scroll on Instagram and just basically liking whatever they're seeing. Um, if it's and we've seen quite um, a lot of interactions at that time, along with as Peter mentioned, just as people are going to bed, um, signing off for the day. It seems to be those two extremes that are working really well yeah. for us. Um, and also frequency, so you would probably want to post, um, like, let's say, I mean, most teams don't exactly bother with a Twitter, but that one should probably be a bit more frequent than an Instagram or a Facebook. Like, whenever I've been doing it, if a good thing for everyone to look at would be to look at um, some blogs that do research on these kinds of things. So there's one called Buffer Library. It's from the makers of a piece of software called buffer which we'll talk about a bit later um and they have they've done a lot of research on the actual you know what what posts what time and how frequently you should be posting um you don't have to follow that to the letter like they recommend one post a day but for a lot of teens that's a bit unrealistic especially in the early days but they they do have a lot of um, information about those kinds of things i highly recommend it facebook um also has sort of personalized analytics for your page so that it will tell you when your fans or people who've liked your page are online and they'll also tell you you know when they're most active and how your posts have been performing during different times of day and they have graphs and stuff don't know if they still do that but definitely when we were doing it that factored into when we posted and I remember looking at those graphs quite a lot and then seeing, right, our users were active on Wednesday at 7pm, so that was a good time to post. So that, that's when we posted. Definitely, I agree with that. And I think these applications like Instagram and Facebook, I'm not super familiar with Twitter, but they give you so much data for free that you can really utilise as a team. Even if you don't have, you know, heaps and heaps of likes starting at or heap or a large following, you know, when you are still at that lower level of the competition, but you've still got those analytics that you can use and you can um, make the best function of, which can really help your um, media presence. Yeah. Um, so when I took over my um, social medias with Peter, in the first week we came on quite, I guess, hard and fast. We had three posts within three days to uh, really establish, um, I guess, a new presence on the app and we've since back down to just one post a week roughly um, so announcing new episodes if we have something else going on we'll also post that on top of that singular um, post for the week and yeah it's been good consistent engagement across the week um, just as mentioned before timing it correctly to really um, hit all of our key audiences all right so moving on to types of posts so what should you be posting and should it all be i know nicole talked previously about you know trying to maintain a professional image 
but maybe also doing a few light-hearted posts that kind of thing so what what do you what are your guys opinion on um the types of posts that we should be doing i think it um differentiates a little bit depending on you know what timeline you are so closer to the competition i know that we were doing countdown photos and reveals and things like that um I think before the competition, you know, before you're coming into that countdown, it's a good um, opportunity to um, show your sponsors off, uh, show your progress, get some bit of momentum in the channel and then sort of have that more of a regular posting schedule there where you are getting creating that momentum through the posts and then maybe closer to um, those competitions, doing it more frequently and doing things like, you know, those updates, countdowns, reveals of the cars, reveals of the booths, traveling videos, things like that. And not every post has to be serious as well. Like a few joke posts, as long as they're, you know, fairly tame, those kinds of things and fairly relatable are always a good idea. I think it's just important to, again, remember your types of posts need to reflect the audience the, the the key demographics you're going for and so the posts probably want to be quite informational in nature um show what you're doing as a team you know um show the fun side of the team where appropriate of course but i think you, you need to always keep in mind that you know this is a brand that you're wanting to present to your sponsors and so what do you think a professional F1 team is going to be posting on their social media or when you look at companies like, I don't know, Microsoft or something like that, what are they posting on social media, you know? You want to be keeping that in mind and somewhat mirroring their moves um, within the context of F1 in schools as well. And I think Michael touched on an important point there about brand, that brand isn't just, you know, your visual identity. It's also your social media, your tone of yeah. voice that sort of thing so your social media is an extension of your brand yeah it's not just you know logos and stuff like that and we talked about it inconsistency is key the way your brand is perceived is is your brand it's not what you make to to like your brand to look like um in terms of logos or colors or any of that kind of stuff The, the way your brand is perceived is your brand and so keep that at the forefront of your mind when you're planning these posts and what your post content is going to be and I think with that, you have to be very mindful of every single, not to be pedantic about it, but you do have to be aware of, you know, having really good grammar, don't have any spelling mistakes in your posts, um, making sure you're actually using things like tags um, and hashtags and, you know, location things on Instagram, things like that. I think you have to really be mindful and be thoughtful with your posts and not just think about, you know, what does the photo look like and what colours are in it, but, you know, how you're wording it, what tags you're using, all of that. Yeah, and I mean, we've touched on it before with um, Instagram, introduction of Instagram stories. And I think while um, keeping your main Instagram feed or your page um, really clean and professional with all of your logos and your really formal branding, I think the Instagram stories have, become a great way of uh, teams sharing all the slightly less formal but still very relevant um, occurrences and uh, things you get up to, especially in the lead up to competition. It might be a boomerang with, you know, manufacturing your cars or you've picked up your booth or different things like that that allow you to engage with your uh, audience on a slightly less formal, less um, highly manufactured 
um, place. Yep. And and just you know things you're doing, you know, like team building exercises and those kinds of things, as we called them, which is usually just you know going bowling and stuff. But um, yeah, put that kind of stuff on on stories is always a good idea. Yeah, and I think um, with that as well, because, you know, you are getting judged on the social media in a sense and there is that part that you have to put in the portfolio and, you know, discuss. But you've also got to realize that there's kind of two functions to that social media that, you know, there is that judging aspect, but there's also the whole concept to where, you know, you're trying to build your brand. So those you know, those sponsored posts, they might be good for the judging part of that. But you've also, you know, with the team building or, you know, what activities you're doing, that's also good for um, just for sponsors to see. So I think the different posts serve different purposes. All right. Now I'd like to get everyone's opinion on sponsored or boosted posts. Um, my opinion is they're a waste of time and money um, because it's they just cost too much for any reasonable benefit for for an F1 in schools team. If you're a big business, maybe that's different, but what does everyone else think about that? I mean, what's the points breakdown for social media at um, both a national and a world level? Uh, it's not like, it's not major for worlds, but it's, it's certainly one of the more contributing factors that go towards your uh, overall enterprise market, I believe. Well, Nicole, you've judged uh, Enterprise um, in Australia at Nationals, right? Mm, I have, yeah. Yeah, so what kind of points are you looking for with social media? It really differentiates. So for the development class, we're really looking at, you know, how many platforms um, did they have. So if they had an Instagram and a Facebook, that obviously um, is more of a positive thing in the the (laughs) the eye of the judges, um, then more for a professional class where if you're looking at the world's level, I'd say that you have to have a good range of um, different platforms, but as well as that, you need to have a strategy. So you need to outline, you know, how many times you're posting, what your, um, what kind of content you have, just putting, you know, we used Instagram maybe, you know, a few years ago in the competition, maybe five years ago, that might have been enough because it wasn't um, a huge thing, social media, but now in today's presence I think you have to have a good strategy if you want to be a competitive team and social media aspect and I guess in regards to the promotion I can see I'm not really sure you know obviously I'd have to do some more research into how much you know those paid sponsorship posts do for an account but I can see how you know they'd be tempting for teams that don't have a lot of um, followers or likes or anything like that I guess it's a lot easier to you know create that content and have motivation to create that content if you do have more likes um so, you know, you have to look at it as a cost-to-benefit ratio and I guess if that's worth it for your team and you really want to build that presence, it might be good for you. But if you have that big presence already, maybe it's not so useful. I'm not sure. If you're building an online presence and you're spending money on it, I think you probably need to make sure that you include this in all of your social media strategy documents and that kind of stuff that you submit to the competitors as well and make sure you, you highlight it so that... Um, you know, when they look at your social media strategy, they can say, well, they really, they well, hopefully they'll say they they really thought about this um, and that kind of thing. But I can see where Matt's coming from when he says it's a waste of money. 
We certainly played the sponsor posts for the day of the um, nationals and the world's level. And from memory, I mean, we were spending maybe $3 a post. Um, and from that, we were able to actually gain, I guess, quite a number of followers. Um, we would target the different geolocations that we were after that we saw the most potential for growth in. And while um, we did see, I guess, a reasonable amount, um, well, a pretty minimal investment in terms of followers, it's also key to um, note that there is a distinction between a sponsored post and a regular post. So you can boost a post and that can go and get 300 likes or however much you pay to have it promoted. But those amount of likes do not transfer to the post that is actually featured on your page. So when judges are scrolling through, they are not going to see the post with X amount of you know, 300 likes that you've paid for. They're going to see the ones that have come purely from people who either follow you or have found you through hashtags. Um, so it, it can work for gaining followers or gaining that traction, but overall it's pretty negligible for likes and other things like that. The, in my opinion, the only scenario I can see for boosting a post is if you're trying to obtain sponsorship or if you're trying to market yourself to potential sponsors. Because in this scenario, your cost-to-benefit ratio is pretty high because you might be spending, you know, three, four dollars, as Corey mentioned, on a post. But if that's going to bring you, you know, one or two thousand dollars in sponsorship, that's pretty good. But I'm not sure if many teams use promoted posts for that particular purpose. I might put that just to the um, crew we've got here today. Did you have any sponsors come through or um, contact you via your social media purely of what they found on social media? I know for us it was more so us going out into the community and presenting ourselves to sponsors rather than them finding us. Yeah, I don't I don't remember a single sponsor we got from social media. I could be wrong about that, but it wouldn't be many. <laughs> it would be maybe one. A few like that, you know, that are going around who know the F1 in schools community. But I think for us, you know, we competed four years ago. It's social media wasn't a huge thing like that maybe in the next coming years people might see you know that smaller businesses from their community getting onto that but um I think uh, most of us well the me me Peter and Michael we all competed a few years ago now where it wasn't such a big thing to have social media so yeah I think the year that we went as precision racing um I think the social media document we had to submit was newly introduced that year. And so that was really the the start of the focus of social media um, around 2015 when everyone was starting to, to see it take off because you've got these, you know, millennials who grew up on MSN and that kind of thing moving into um, Facebook later when they're 20s and that kind of thing. Um, they're starting to take over the business world and we're starting to see everyone become more connected online just because it's what they're used to. And so that's reflected in the competition uh, in 2015 by them starting to adopt it. And more and more we see it's getting integrated and teams are having bigger and bigger social media presences. Like um, you look at Infinitude's presence first, like Horizons is a pretty big difference in presence and I think the effort they put into it. And so, yeah, just just keep that in mind. I was going to also mention from what you said, Michael, with the social media um, documents. I know at world final level they are a required document, and I don't. They're not. I don't believe at nationals. Um, but what I was going to say, just from judging, I think 
if you are at a national level, especially in Australia, I can't really talk for other countries, but having that social media document, it doesn't take a huge time to create but I think it makes such a big impact on those social media points you know because it really does show that strategy in that portfolio you're only getting a tiny amount to explain um, such a big use of social media whereas if you're having that strategy although it's not judged with your portfolio when you have those marketing judges coming around and looking at your booth or even having those interviews um, being able to hand them hand that to them is such um, a great thing to give yeah and it goes for the same with in the intriguing interviews episodes we did. We talked about auxiliary documentation for pits and engineering and that kind of thing. The same rules apply with social media or auxiliary documentation in that, yeah, you can do it, but it needs to be focused. It needs to show what you did and um, not be a fluff piece. It needs to be substantial in and have a plan and that kind of thing because the judges will see right through you know a bunch of fluff that is disguised as a social media strategy it needs to actually be a strategy that you stick to for the most part and it has information and analytics and that kind of thing in it and I think you do have to be quite well researched in it as well because you know when the judges are looking at it they're experts in marketing if you're just putting really generic information in there they'll be able to notice that quite easily so you really need to tailor it to actual information about your platforms rather than, you know, generic information or fluff where, you know, judges can see right through and identify, you know, this is just something they just whip together. It has to be quite thoughtful and quite realistic to your own platforms. All right. Um, Well, I just want to talk about now a tool I like to use that was really helpful um, called Buffer. And what it does is you link all of your social media accounts to it and it will, you can write one post and it will write and it will send it to all of them. Uh, Just makes your life a whole lot easier. So you don't have to manually copy paste a post, you know, Facebook and then to Instagram and then to Twitter and everyone, well, when we were doing it, it was pretty much You'd post to Facebook, forget about Instagram, forget about Twitter because you couldn't be bothered. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, just on that, that, they've actually integrated that essentially into um, Instagram and Facebook. So, for example, when I'm posting the off the track, I have toggleable options to post to Twitter, to Facebook, and I believe there was another one on there, but I've forgotten it now. Um, so you can link all your accounts through Facebook and it will post it automatically. It'll send it'll any hashtags, any um, descriptions that you put with it, it will post up with it as well. But those Twitter ones are usually a link to an Instagram post, aren't they? They're not as clean as... Okay, yeah, that, yeah quite possibly. Yeah, I, I believe that's how it is, unless they've changed it, but usually it is just a link to an Instagram, which is not very clean and not very nice, so it's better to use stuff like Buffer. Um, does anyone else have any other tools that or resources that they used for social media that helped them? I remember there was something called Hootsuite. Um, I, I think, think that's, that's similar. It's similar to Buffer, um, but I think that's become more paid. So we used we used Buffer. I remember using Buffer quite a bit, but yeah, Hootsuite I think is a paid service, but Buffer's a bit more free. Yeah. plans. If your school has access to the Adobe suite, uh, Adobe have a couple of options for making content for social media, like Adobe Spark, I believe, 
um, and so maybe check those out. I can't vouch for them, but I thought I'd just give them a shout out anyway, because uh, it's made by Adobe. It's probably going to be a pretty good quality program. There's also um, Canva. So if you're if you're doing social media and maybe you're not like a Photoshop expert, um, or you just want to do something quickly in a web browser, uh, Canva is a really easy to use graphics tool. It's all it's all online, quite easy to use. It's got some templates in there. It'll get you going. Yeah, and I mean, even if you use it as a bridging tool to um, working towards using projects such as the Photoshop and um, Illustrator, uh, that can also be helpful there. Uh, it's more that like, so if you're if you're doing your social media, but you're not a graphic designer and you just need to get a post out, I think Canva's a great tool. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I was just, um, I'll add on to that. Even, you know, if you know the basics, so, you know, Photoshop or even InDesign, one of the Adobe platforms, perhaps, I think it does make a world of difference rather than, you know, obviously something more than words. So I think if you have just a basic knowledge, ask your graphics designer how to use it. So, you know, at least you have some kind of idea and you know how to create a post if you needed to do that quickly. It's quite useful. All right. Well, I think we'll move on to the website now. So first thing we should talk about is do you even need one? It's it's probably a lot of work and um, there's there's going to be some money involved. Um, whether it's for usually is if, whether it's for hosting or you know tools things like that. Um, so if you're at a regional or maybe even a state level, it's probably not worth your time. Uh, that's what I think. And it's also should be primarily focused towards getting you sponsors. I don't think there's really any sort of criteria in any regulations that specifically relates to websites. Not that it can't help, and if you had your website, let's say, on an iPad or something at your pit display, that might you might be able to show it to the judges, and you might be able to talk about it in your portfolio, but there's nothing, there's no direct criteria for it. A lot of websites these days are just training as landing pages as well um, for social media. Uh, so if you go to offthetrack.net, it's not... Um, got many links to directly to episodes and that kind of thing because um, some of the episodes are available with show notes on the website but they're not directly linked it's more of just a landing page for the different services like apple podcasts and so that's it's, what... it's basically just a business card yeah exactly it's an online business card and i think that that's probably the way websites are going and if you're going to do that maybe put your sponsorship prospectus or something on there as well Maybe at a state level you might want a website, but it would be more of a nationals and worlds thing. In worlds, you should definitely have one. Um, oh, yeah. But... I mean, it depends on how strong how strong the rest of your social media portfolio is, because if you have a strong Instagram or strong Facebook or strong all social media portfolio and you don't have a website, you kind of say, well, the cost-benefit analysis was done and we were able to reach enough people via social media that we didn't really need a, a website. I kind of disagree with that. I think even if you know you did, if you did um, have all those social media platforms, just from a judging perspective, I think a website is probably the most 
basic form of what you have. Um, so I think even if you did have a lot of them, even if you just chose a free platform, obviously it's not going to be as good as something you created yourself. Um, but I think it is still important to have that well-rounded platform, even if you know you, you aren't getting as much traction around it. I just think it's one of those things that you do still have to tick off. Yeah, and I mean, it's another um, another option for ROI for sponsors. And while, as you mentioned, it may not necessarily create, create uh, masses of traction, um, it's another way you can market your sponsors. You can have the click-throughs to different um, social medias. But, I mean, I, we had a website for the owner from states through the world. And being able to show, present to judges our website, which we spent a, a, a pretty good amount of time on, Boston did a really good job. Certainly, I think, helped with our judging. It may not have gone towards direct website points, but helped with ROI, with our, our branding and consistency and, I guess, engagement as well. Especially, actually, with Worlds. I mean, there's, a, there's a, I'm not exactly sure how many points are allocated towards website at Worlds, but there's a website award. I don't think there are actually any points allocated towards websites. Might be wrong yeah. at Worlds, but I don't think I, there's direct... I don't think so. Yeah, there's there's nothing directly as far as I know of. Um, Actually, and just on that, um, another thing we used it for with our custom domain was then getting the custom email URL and email addresses. That would look make you look professional towards sponsors. Absolutely, it looked. I know we certainly had a lot of comments on. Oh, you know, you've actually got the full blown um, industry standard type emails, and not just an at gmail dot com or similar. Definitely. I think it's just even when you're communicating with those um, business professionals, I think having a Gmail account, um, especially at a world finals level, I, I know it's not extremely expensive to create um, those domains that, you know, everyone else can have, you know, an email, you know, Nicola Infinitude. I think it makes a world of difference just to your professionalism. And yeah, if there's one thing I could probably go back and change about Precision Racing's um, web presence, it would be uh, just how our email works because we had a gmail account but it wasn't like one of the paid gc ones it was just a free one i think it was precision racing bss at gmail.com or something like that and we used that up until worlds and like that is i couldn't convince my team to spend money on um a domain and, and hosting for for that kind of email setup and so they um yeah, so we, we never got that, and it, it didn't look the most professional. So it's like $10 a month maximum, probably, for the most basic setup. And, I mean, we actually had a um, we had a free .cf domain, which probably didn't look very professional, but... I still think it's better than Gmail. Yeah, we, yeah, we were .cf for a very long time. Um, but, yeah. All right, well... Let's move on to some more technical stuff, I guess. Um, actually making a website. So there are a few ways to go about it. So there is the most common situation out there now, which is to use what's called a CMS, a content management system. So these are your things like your WordPress, your Squarespace, and your beautiful. Wix. I would not recommend Wix. I, I really hate it. The other two are all right. I I'm, think I think I'm, Wix has come uh, fairly. It, okay. yeah, I will admit it's, it's, it's better, better than it used to be. Um, well, actually, Matthew, do you want to give us a quick insight into your 
My, uh, I should. Yeah, I guess I should. Um, so I, I actually run a, I actually run a web design business, and I, or well, I do it custom. So I do it, which will be on probably the most complicated, or not the most, the the one that require the most learning investment, which would be to write it in HTML. Um, I would not recommend that method to any team unless they also just wanted to learn HTML for their own purposes. It gives you the most flexibility, but you know, you're going to spend a couple of weeks there learning how to do everything. Probably not a good investment if you're never going to use those skills again. What I like is what's called a static site generator. It's essentially a middle ground. So the problems with um, CMSs is they're usually, in my opinion at least, uh, very overcomplicated and just a bit awkward to use. So in the last or in some cases, sorry, uh, in some cases they can be a bit undercomplicated. Yes, um, yes. and you can't customize at the enough. same time. Like, see, that was Squarespace. Just... Yeah, so Squarespace, I wouldn't strongly recommend. I actually don't mind Squarespace. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, out of the three CMS solutions, WordPress, Squarespace, and Wix, there are others. But out of those three, I would probably go with Squarespace. I mean, the, it is a very well put yeah, together WordPress product. is it's also just... a complete mess because it's a blogging platform oh, yeah. that's got like websites tacked onto it with plugins, and it it's not too good. I, yeah, my... I, I run a site with plugins, and it's it's a mess. So yeah. c- consider that. Or you go with WordPress. Well, I used WordPress for quite a while, and uh, yeah, I don't anymore. Yeah, if you want to see a, a WordPress website, um, go to the Essential website. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Michael. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> so a good middle ground, I find, is what's called a static site generator. These have been starting to pop up over the last couple of years, um, or been gaining traction at least. And these are these are stripped down, much simpler. You download a template. It's a little more technically focused to use, but it it's not much you have to learn. There's plenty of tutorials. My recommendation is one called Hugo. So basically, you download the template, you fill it out, and it generates the website based on that template. You can change the colors and the fonts and everything, and it's a much easier solution. Um, but if you want the simplest interface, your best option, if you're not technically minded or anything, would probably be go with a CMS such as Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Or Wix. Or Wix. I think Wix you can do. Like you can a do a free one. Yeah, it's got a but it's Wix. On it. It's Wix branded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. I think um, Weebly. Weebly as well. Yeah. They used to be. They they're, used to be quite a big name, yeah, and they've come back still... actually in recent years. And I think the F1 in Schools yeah, website actually. is now Weebly. If you want to look at what you can do. Yeah, Weebly's so. not too bad as well. I haven't played around with that one too much, but. Um, yeah, look into that. I guess on, on another uh, little side topic on that, with teams, especially if you're in the early stages of competition, so you might be going towards the state level and you might have some pretty tight finances in these uh, trying times, while you can get 
um, some of the CMSs at a reasonable rate, or you might get a free one that might have the, a limited template or whatnot. Um, if you do your research, you can get pretty well-priced static site generators such as Hugo um, and different hosting services as well, which can save you a few dollars. In fact, I'm going to just talk about some free options for hosting. Um, these, you won't get a proper domain name, so you won't get yourteam.com or anything. You'll get yourteam dot let's say github.io or something like that. Um, so there's GitHub pages, there's Netlify, and there's NeoCities. And they will accept anything you take, put out from Hugo or anything you do yourself in HTML. Um, but I know I know you, Peter, for Infinitude, have moved over to GitHub pages. Does that work well for you? I think so. Um... It was the reason why we switched over to GitHub was because we were going to lose our domain because uh, .com.au domains are only valid for two years. So with GitHub pages, it just means it's immortal and it's, you know, it's never going to go away. Um, but it also gives us the option, if we do want to buy a domain, we can link our hosting with GitHub pages to that domain. So we wouldn't have to pay for hosting. Right just the domain yeah and the only issue with those kinds of things is that it is static only so you won't get any you won't have a contact form or anything like that working it, it'll purely just you know display the page um and display whatever's on the page there'll be no logins no chatbots or you, you might get a chatbot to work but um yeah yeah i know netlify has netlify functions um but yeah, if you understand what that is, you can probably look that up on your yeah. own time. If you understand what that is, you probably don't need this. <laughs> yeah, and but yeah, there's also paid hosting options. But um, so you can find some pretty cheap shared hosting um, from various providers. They're all okay, I guess, um, and they'll do the job. And then you'll have to buy your own domain name. Those are about $10, $20 a year. Don't go with GoDaddy. Stop giving them money. They screw you over. I was just going to say, with domain names, I think it's important to remember that um, if you're not technically minded, there's a database called the Whois database. Yeah. And whenever you sign up for a domain, your details go into that um, database. So your name, address, contact number... But I think it's important when you are signing up for a domain that you look for a registrar that has privacy protection with Whois. So all of those details get mastered. All out. of them have it, but some of them try to charge you a bunch of money for it, like GoDaddy, Namecheap, it's free by default. The exception is if you get a .au domain, Whois.guard, you're not allowed, you, there is no Whois.guard for .au domains. Um, you also need an ABN to get a .au for domain. For a .com.au um, domain, um, there is yeah, ones that you don't. For the, yeah, yeah, .org, you need something else, like a, a charity number yeah. or something like that. But, yeah. But if you do need an ABN, you can use your... Well, in our case, we used our school's ABN, and I think other teams have used their state's Department of Education ABN. So it's not that big of a barrier. Um. All right, well, we'll move on to... Um, getting yourself listed on Google. If you put a website out there, it'll eventually end up on Google at some point. However, there's things you can do to improve your rankings and um, 
and get yourself on Google properly. So the first thing you can do is you can use Google Webmaster Tools to submit your domain name to Google. That'll just help it rank a bit quicker. The other thing you should do is you can get a Google business listing. So you register for that. You register, you can register your website, you can register your phone number, and you register it to an address, so probably your school. And that will appear as a card on the right-hand side of Google anytime anyone searches for your team. You can add photos and things like that, and they've got a posting system that no one uses, but you can use that if you want. And yeah, so you can register that. The only thing you have to think about is they have to send a postcard to whatever address you register with a code on the back of it. They say, on average, it takes six days. Um, but it doesn't. But it, doesn't. It, takes it takes ages. <laughs> it takes a month. And then you, you think... It takes a month. Yeah, then you think it's gotten lost in the post, so you send another yeah. one, and then it invalidates the old code, and <laughs> so you have to keep waiting. It doesn't do that anymore, thankfully. Well, but... well, it did it to me. No, no, it didn't do that to me, but I always think, oh, it's no, it's actually gotten lost this time, and then it hasn't. It's... <laughs> It arrives the next day. Yeah. Or your school's front office receives it, but they decide not to do anything about it because they don't know where to ah. put it. That's also Well, you, you <laughs> can put an attention field on yeah. it. Like, oh, yeah. Attention this person, but yeah. yeah. Um, let's talk about what your website should contain. So I think we've already briefly touched on that. Um, it should mainly be, I guess, focused towards sponsors trying to get, you know, investment, but what what else do you guys think you should put on there on a team website? Well, obviously you've got to have your socials links and that kind of thing. Yeah, for putting this for the, putting the social links at the end, because if you put them at the top like a lot of people do, all you're doing is driving people away from your website. I I can see why you might want to do that, but if you go back to the idea of it being a digital business card, I think having them well yeah if, if it's if it if it if it is just a digital business card then yes. yeah but if you're going to do something more put them in the footer yeah but with businesses if you're gearing this website towards sponsors i don't think putting your socials at the top is too big of a an issue because the, all of the they want content then they're you know and you have it clearly labeled you know sponsorship prospectus or something like that um that you can also see visibly at the top uh with those social links is i think it's going to drive the people that are just interested in what your team's doing via social media to your social media and your sponsors to the content you have on your website yeah i mean the way we worked ours for iota um which i think has become not from us but i think it's become quite a not stock standard but a industry standard if throughout the competition a lot of teams are going that way would be to you have your big flash uh, cover page introduction into the competition, a bit of about the team, you might have your previous accolades, so from maybe a state or a national finals, uh, where you're from, and then displaying all of your sponsors and any contact details or additional documents like Michael mentioned with your prospectus, if you're putting that on your website, and then clearly your external links to your social medias as well. So more than just the, the click-through page or the redirects, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah, I, I agree with what Corey said there. That was, uh, yeah. And with the Infinity website, we did something similar. So, yeah, a big hero mm, image. Yeah, that was a good one. At the top. And then an About Us. And, yeah. Um, put put faces of your team in as well. But I think that helps make your 
team a bit yeah. more personable yeah. you know so you're not just some sort of faceless brand if you have a picture of your team that's that's you know something sponsors can if you want yeah, the easy way to. out just um clone the infinitude website and just uh, rename your images like nicole.jpg or something like that <laughs> please don't do that that's that that's that's a that's a true story someone actually did clone our website please don't do that <laughs> all right well thank you for listening to off the track you can listen to us on spotify Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and YouTube. If you enjoyed this episode, you can rate the show on Apple Podcast. It really helps, apparently. Why do you Make always sure say apparently? Oh my god! You... Because you you tell us, it Michael, does. it helps. It but I have 100%. we have no idea. We need how to get number it's one on iTunes, at this guys. Point. We need to beat the ABC podcast. All right, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. off track. All right. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Off The Track Podcast and visit us at offthetrack.net. Thank you and goodbye. Bye.